Um, uh, does anyone here know the um, motto of uh, Oxford University? Either? Dominus Illuminatio Mea. Does anyone know what it means? <laughs> Catherine. Ah, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. But, the, uh, that's, that's getting even closer. You could say, the Lord is my enlightenment, or the Lord is my light. May I, may I. That's the meaning of it. In fact, it's a quote from Psalm 27. Verse 1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And that's actually a really, really bold claim for the university to make. The Lord, says the university, is my light. In Oxford, it's also very, very ironic. The uh, motto started to be used in the uh, 16th century, as far as I can find out, uh, at which point the university was already a venerable institution, and it, it, it drew centrally upon uh, religious traditions in its, in its teaching and its learning. So, actually, when they adopted this as their motto, it was not controversial to describe the Lord as my light. But it wasn't long after that that it started to become more and more controversial, frankly. By the, by the 19th century, there were plenty of people in, in uh, Oxford University who, who were at the vanguard of a movement who, in particular, wanted to throw off what they called the shackles of religion and um, uh, uh, look at the truth with new eyes. And did they even coined a, a term for the old days dominated by religious understanding. They said those days were the dark ages. No one actually before these people had used that phrase. We think of it all the time now. But uh, they coined it, the, the dark ages. This, they said, is the age of enlightenment. The um, uh, German philosopher Immanuel Kant invented the term enlightenment. Uh, he knew that it had powerful resonances and he described the age of enlightenment as man's release from his self-imposed tutelage to religion. No longer were human beings obliged to learn from religion, says Immanuel Kant, in, in this enlightened world, we need to dare to know. That was his phrase. However, as we turn from the 20th century into the 21st century, many people agree that enlightenment project is really tarnished. It did give birth to many, many good things. Scientific inquiry flourished under, in that environment. But it didn't lead to the, to the utopian world that it promised. Science, we discovered in the 20th century, was as, was as capable of creating the nuclear bomb as cheap power. 
And in philosophical circles, it it threw up many, many questions. How do we know things? was one of the deepest questions. We talk about enlightenment, but can we really know things for sure? Increasingly, people started to see claims for truth as actually being just disguised bids for power. I know the truth. If I can persuade you of that, I have power over you. In um, the worlds of politics, of the law, of economics, actually, enlightenment hasn't produced the beautiful rational systems that many earlier thinkers thought. Or rather, it's produced boom and bust economics, as we've seen. It's produced much more narrow nationalism than it has global good government. And these days, in the universities, they teach about the critics of enlightenment as much as they talk about enlightenment. Enlightenment is not actually a very exciting topic in today's world. So Oxford University's motto continues to be controversial. The Lord is my light, says the university. It divides people. Some people are excited by it, some people are fundamentally hostile to it. Actually, it does exactly what John intended to do as he wrote his Gospel. See, the, the, the Apostle John who wrote this um, biography of Jesus was very familiar with how controversial uh, uh, a statement like um, in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. It was familiar territory in John's day to say that you don't find light from, they said, the god of Apollo, you find light by rational inquiry. You don't. Many people trooped off to the, to the Delphic Oracle in John's day to find the truth, but many other philosophers especially sat and scoffed and said you won't find truth there. Where will we find light? Where will we find truth? That is the question that the Apostle knows is not far from the surface and will be brought to the surface by the statements he makes about this extraordinary man, Jesus. Jesus said things like, the truth will set you free. He, and then he said, even more controversially, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You won't find truth, he's saying, simply by, by, by your rational um, searching. You will find truth as you embrace me. Indeed, you won't find just truth, you will find life. 
See, 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 John is starting to set all of that out in this, in this pro- prologue, which frankly is a bombshell for his world and for our world of nuclear proportions. It is a, it is a depth charge that he is placing there that he will explode over the coming chapters in John's Gospel, which he knows in time will destroy all the false claims to knowledge and re-establish a new foundation, which is Jesus, upon which all life and light is built. So John knows exactly that he is being deeply controversial and uh, as we study the life of Jesus, as John presents it, we will see how controversial he is. We're going to build that picture of Jesus over the coming weeks but I want us to see today just just this one thing, this one central concept that John has in his prologue. Jesus, he says, Jesus, not, 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 not some other gods, not, not, not some uh, dispassionate, rational process. Jesus brings light. Uh, we, we began with, with uh, that in John chapter 1 verse 1. Jesus was there described as the, as the, as the word of God. The, you could put it, he's the personal communication of God. When God spoke in Genesis chapter 1, God created worlds. Indeed, God created light itself. And we learn that Jesus is the the agent of God's creative work. He is is, is the agency of God's speech. He he, He enacts what God decides. Through him all things were created, John has said. Without him nothing was created that has been created. He he is the manifestation then of the mind of God. But then he goes on and and, um, uses this this idea of light, which is what I want to, um, uh, want to, to, to dwell on this evening. Jesus, he said, he says, in himself sheds light. Verse 4, in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. In other words, he says there's something, something that was intrinsic to Jesus which is life. But there is something that Jesus, Jesus manifests to the world around that, that that, that, that stems from that intrinsic quality that he has of life. And that is light. The, 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 the life in himself, the, the life that, that ultimately comes from God, is manifested to human beings as light, as illumination, as something that, 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 that opens their eyes and enables us to see. It is universal. Did you see that? It was the light of all mankind. There's no, there's no nation where this manifestation of the life of Jesus is not intended to be shone. 
There is no social class where it is not, whereas it will not open eyes. There is no race that should be closed to seeing this life that was in Jesus and is now manifest to the world. It is, it is a universal thing. It is the light of all mankind. And this, this light, the progress of this light, says John, is unstoppable. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. there's there's a sense in which we know that is always true. If a light is shining in the darkness, the darkness actually can't envelop and stop that light. Um, And uh, history has proven that to be manifestly true of the light that comes from Jesus Christ. You go to any continent in the world now and you will find worshippers of Jesus Christ. In every culture, in every situation, you will find people whose eyes have been opened to see Jesus Christ. He is unstoppable. Jesus then sheds light, manifests his life to all mankind and the darkness cannot and will not overcome it. Jesus then also sheds light by sending messengers. One particular, um, an important one, uh, is mentioned, John the Baptist. There came a man who was sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. John is saying, God God sets down certain people here. John the Baptist most crucially. Who are sent from him. Did you see that? He came from God. And they bear a very, uh, they have a very, very important role. It is not to be light itself, but it's to be witnesses to that light. The idea, the idea of, of, of people being witnesses is, is massively important for John in his Gospel. He, after all, is a witness who is writing down the story of Jesus. What use is that? He can tell you what he's seen, but he can't be light itself. John says, that's absolutely right. That is absolutely right. My role is valuable. The role of any witness is valuable. But it is not the last word. Remember, um, Doubting Thomas at the end of John's Gospel as well gets a special mention from John uh, in part for this reason. Because Thomas will not believe that Jesus was raised from the dead until, he says, he can touch his hands and put his hand into his side. And Jesus appears to Thomas and allows him to do that. 
Jesus says, says something very interesting. He says, you believe because you have seen and touched. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. So Thomas, as a witness of someone and someone who has seen and touched, is valuable, just as John's record of it is. But there is a blessedness that others can enjoy who have not seen in the flesh these things and yet come to believe and trust it. So, so, so John is beginning at the, at the beginning of his Gospel to set out the, the value of a witness. They are vitally important. They, they speak of Jesus. They bear witness to the light and their limitation. What does that mean about how we should approach this Bible book? It says something very, very important to us. It says, first of all, we should read it carefully because the Gospel of John is a witness to Jesus. It portrays the life of Jesus. I serve in a subordinate way as well as a witness and I'm going to do my best over the coming weeks to explain to you the significance of Jesus and who he is and his life. But that will not be enough. You need somehow to move beyond that to a knowledge of Jesus which goes beyond what another witness has seen and explained. To discovering him as the source of light itself. I can't do that. And John can't do that. And Thomas, who bowed before Jesus and said, my Lord and my God, cannot do that. There is something that has to happen whereby you see the true Jesus. So straight away, John is warning us that it needs to be, go beyond just the examination of eyewitnesses. You need to see Jesus himself. And that can only come as in faith we, enable, we allow our eyes to be opened to the truth. Jesus sheds light then. Somehow his life is manifested as light. He sends witnesses. John the Baptist being a prime uh, example. But then there's something more he does. And, th- and this, is, this is where we can start to get one step closer to seeing the real Jesus. The true light, verse 9, that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, says John. Suddenly here he is, here he is, manifested. He was, he was anticipated, there was, a, there was a herald, John the Baptist, but here he is, manifested in the world. It is designed to shock us. And then there's another shock that comes straight away. 
Isn't Jesus the light who illuminates all mankind? Wasn't John the witness who was to bring that, that all might believe? But look what happens. He was in the world. Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Okay? Jesus, Jesus manifests his light into this world, says John, but Jesus divides people when that light comes. There, there's, there's a deep irony in what he uh, says. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. We are creatures. We are created by God. A creature should know his maker and recognise his maker when he meets him. But human beings often don't. Though the world was made through him, he didn't recognise him. And then, um, I'm not quite sure what, quite what he's getting at when he says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. It may be that he came to his own people, the Jews of history. The people who should have recognised that he was, he was the Christ, the son of the living God but they didn't, re- didn't receive him, they didn't accept him. But it, else, it may, may be referring to all of us as just his creatures, you see. We are all his own in one sense. And yet his own did not receive him. This is supposed to be a shock, this. The light that it was coming into the whole world and yet they didn't recognise him, they didn't receive him. There's a short story told by um, uh, H.G. Wells entitled The Country of the Blind. It's uh, a story about a mountaineer, a man called Nunes, who climbs a mountain, I think it's in the Andes, and falls down on the other side of the mountain into a valley that has been enclosed for generations. And, and a population of people has, has been cut off there in this, in this uh, cut-off valley. And uh, due to a hereditary problem amongst them, the children started to be born blind. They had adapted to that, accommodated themselves to that and they learned to survive very well. But Nunez was a complete confusion to them because he could see that there were, there were things that fluttered around beyond their, um, uh, their, their knowledge, these, these people. They were sure they were angels. Nunez said, no, they're birds. And uh, here's a passage from the story. The voice of an older man began to question him and Nunes found himself trying to explain the great world out of which he had fallen, the sky and the mountains and sight and such like marvels to these elders who sat in darkness in the country of the blind. They would believe and understand nothing whatever he told them. 
a thing quite outside his expectation. They would not even understand many of his words. For 14 generations, these people have been blind and cut off from all the seeing world. The names for all the things of sight had faded and changed. The story of the outer world was faded and changed to a child's story. They'd ceased to concern themselves with anything beyond the rocky slopes above their circling wall. Blind men of genius had arisen among them and questioned the shreds of belief and tradition they had brought with them from their seeing days and had dismissed all these things as idle fancies, replaced them with new and saner explanations. Much of their imagination had shriveled with their eyes and they had made for themselves new imaginations with their ever more sensitive ears and fingertips. Wells was describing our world. I don't know whether he explicitly wanted to um, portray the loss of a sense of God in our society. But we can see how easily applicable it is to that. This country of the blind that loses old knowledge perhaps does become more keenly aware of certain other new knowledge. But doesn't even have the vocabulary very often to describe things that they have never seen. And uh, amazingly, Nunes himself eventually prepares to submit to having his own eyes put out. the people in the country of the blind have recognised that those are the organs that makes him, make him full of wild fancies. Now, if he's going to marry one of their daughters, which he wants to, he must lose that organ. He never quite does. He tries to flee the country instead. But the point is made. Who are the blind people in our world? You see, some people suggest that for all the growth in knowledge and understanding that the university there has, our culture has, is blind to something. Blind to something deeply, deeply important. We simply don't know where concepts such as justice comes from. Where love comes from. We have lost the faculty to understand things in any other terms than perhaps some useful social contract or just some ancient tradition which is fading fast. But John says, open your eyes. Open your eyes to something different, something new, something which is from beyond the light that comes from Jesus Christ. 
There will be plenty of people who do not and will not look and see. But there are others whose lives will never be the same. Verse 12, To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Some do accept him, he says. Some will recognise who Jesus is. Some will receive him. And to those, they will gain a new status. They will be called children of God. They are adopted into the family of God. They become, in a sense, brothers with Jesus. And they not only acquire a new status, they acquire a new character. To be called a child of God is actually to to share in the characteristics of God. They are born, he says, not of, not of natural descent, nor of human decision or our husband's will. They are not born in the natural way. They are born again of God. There is something totally new that has come out of them. So that now they begin to resemble God. I want to say to you, search for this Jesus. Get to know him. The witnesses are are your only way back to him. They are not sufficient, but they are sent from God for that purpose. Search through the witnesses for that Jesus. But do not be satisfied with witness testimony only. Let this Jesus, the real Jesus, who has life in himself, shine the light of his life into your heart so that you are born of God. There are people here for whom that has already happened. I rejoice with you and I say, learn more of this Jesus. Let his light shine into every aspect of your life because he can illuminate every area of your life. He is not only the light for all mankind, he is the light for every aspect of being a human being as well. And if you have not yet found this Jesus, well, read John's Gospel and let John be a witness for you. Come back here and let, let, let us explain this Jesus to you. And then go away and pray and seek to see His light shine in your heart. Because when His light does shine in your heart, the life that He has in Himself is transmitted into you and you're born of God.